Amen. Thank you, Haley. Second Kings chapter 22. Second Kings chapter 22. Good morning. Happy New Year. Haven't seen you in a minute. I don't know. How, I told the teenagers this Wednesday. I don't know how long we can say Happy New Year, but Happy New Year. If it's too late, I will stop. Probably not. It's too, I like a nice greeting. I like a built-in greeting. That's why I like the holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I think we can say that maybe for the whole maybe for the whole year. I don't know. Happy New Year. Second um, Kings chapter twenty-two. Coleman wrapped up Esther last week, and we are in between series. And I don't like to be in between series, um, but the Lord has a way of giving what we need when we need it. And I was reading through Kings in my devotions this week, and uh, this passage jumped out to me. And I'm excited to preach it this morning. I hope you're um, ready to hear the Word of God. Um, this morning, I hope I present it the way he wants me to. So let's go ahead and read, and we'll do some backstory, and we'll get into the sermon. Chapter 22, verse number 1, we're going to read about 13 verses, um, and then we will go. Verse number 1 says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. This is in the nation of Judah. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidiah. That is his, Jedidah, that is his mother's name. Tough. The daughter of Adiah of Boscath, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, and the king that the king sent Shaphan the son of Azaliah, uh, of Azaliah the son of Meshulam the scribe to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair, to repair the breaches of the houses, unto carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Verse number seven, howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into the hand because they dealt faithfully. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, and have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Shaphan the scribe showed this king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. The king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahakam the son of Shaphan and Akor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the scribe and Asahiah, a lot of names, a servant of the king saying, Go ye inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. Let's pray, and then we will jump in. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for salvation and life, Lord, undeserved of both of those things, yet you give it to us so freely. And to help us this morning, Lord, as we've come together at 9 a.m. on a cold Sunday, um, we've come for many reasons, but the main reason is to hear your word and what it can do to our lives. Lord, help us not to be hearers of the word, but doers. Lord, help us things not to be... Um, just things that we hear, but things that we actively participate in. Lord, help, help the Word of God to prick our hearts and change us today. Lord, as it has this week for me, help to do to someone else this morning. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now the book of 2 Kings, I'm going to give you a little backstory. I don't like being out of series because I like the context of a series. I like that um, when we're in Esther, we don't have to talk about Esther the whole time. But I'm going to give you some context. I want you to kind of see where we're at. See where we're at. 2 Kings, now if, you're, if you know your Bible, obviously 1 and 2 Kings was written as one book. Uh, the translators back in the day split it into two. So this is really one book of kind of history 
of the kings. Um, and we know the nation of Israel started with King Saul. Okay, King Saul was the first king of Israel. Um, on Sunday nights, we, we went through Joshua and Judges. And then, of course, Judges ends. First Samuel begins with the nation of Israel saying, we want a king. We want to be like everyone else. We want a king. So the Lord gives them Saul. Saul falls. And then the promised line of David takes his place. The second king of Israel being David. And he dies. And his son Solomon takes his place. Now, uh, it's not... Honestly, if you read the Bible, it does not take long for the people of God to act like the people of God. And when I do not mean be good people, I mean mess up and fall short because that's what the people of God do. That's what I do. That's what you do. And that's why we're all here. It brings us all together because we don't want to do it, but we keep doing it. And the Lord's faithful to forgive us and he's faithful to forgive them, but they fall. And Solomon dies and Rehoboam takes his place. Rehoboam, his son. And at that point, Solomon, he was, he was the wisest man, but a lot of times wisdom doesn't mean good decision making. And although he was wise, he made a lot of bad decisions, and he had this issue of, this issue, I like how I said it, like this issue. He kept marrying all of these women. That was his issue. And he married all these women that were um, daughters and princesses of all these nations. So he would go, he would marry their, their daughters, their queens, and he would come back and they would um, bring their gods, bring their religions, and it began to infect and and infiltrate Israel's religious practices, and he dies, and Rehoboam's son takes his place. And at that point, pretty much all hell breaks loose for the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, from that point on, is split into two kingdoms. The northern tribe of Israel, the northern nation of Israel, which is the ten northern tribes, uh, original tribes, and the southern of Judah. And then the book of Kings kind of gives us the backstory of all their different kings over hundreds of years. Um, they had around 20 kings each. And the northern tribe, the northern nation, Israel, pretty much all bad. These guys were not good guys. If you want to study out, uh, it's a fun study to read through. They, it, it, the, the common phrase is they did not, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. All these kings, king after king after king after king, did evil in the sight of the Lord. There was one maybe in the middle that was okay, uh, but most of the time, evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, the southern tribe kept the line of David. Okay, these were the guys who kept the promised line of David, and they continued it out, and Josiah is in that line, and they also did a lot of bad. I'm telling you, it's mostly bad. If you read Kings, it's mostly bad, but there were some that were good. And one of the good guys, if you go a few chapters back in 1918, is a guy named uh, Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah, if you've ever heard messages on that, was a guy who walked with the Lord, knew the Lord. His faith was strong. Uh, the Lord showed up several times, saved him, rescued him, delivered him. It was a really powerful um, story, a couple chapters there, of the God's faithfulness in King Hezekiah's life. But it does not take long. It usually only takes how many generations to mess up and get away from the Lord. It only takes one. And Hezekiah's son was Manasseh. And Manasseh may be the worst other than maybe King Ahab, maybe the worst of all the kings. And Manasseh, if you study Manasseh, he reigns for a long time. Uh, his son, we're going to talk about in a second, Amon, he, he, he only reigned for two years. Manasseh reigned for 55 years and did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now when we hear that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, I think we kind of, okay, he did bad. He didn't follow the Lord. No, he did really, really, really bad stuff. Um, he sacrificed his sons on the burnt offering. He would kill them. He would uh, build up altars, build up high places. He would often kill children, and he was kind of all in on all these gods that have kind of infiltrated the nation of Israel. Really, really bad guy, and to a point where God says enough is enough. Now, God's grace is so good, and God's grace is so patient and so long-suffering, but there comes a point. There comes a point when those who sin against God will face the judgment of God. Whether you're a believer or non-believer, there comes a point of judgment for all of us. And the point of judgment came for the nation of uh, Judah. Obviously, the northern tribes get taken away first, and then Judah comes second, um, taken away into Babylon, Assyria, and all these captivities. But 
the Lord comes to Manasseh through a prophet and says, enough is enough, you're done. I'm taking the kingdom from you. Your line is going to die. And he, Manasseh continues to reign. He lives a long life. He dies. His son Ammon comes in. He's young. He takes the throne. Like I said, he only lives two years. He also does evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord kills him. They ra- the, through a, through a, the way he does it, he raises him up. They kill him. And Josiah is made king. Ammon died by the servants. It was a Caesar-type situation where they were so sick of Manasseh that they hoped, I think, that Ammon would be different. He wasn't. And they said, enough is enough. We're killing this guy. He's got an eight-year-old son who's going to be king. And eight-year-olds... We can mold them how we want to mold them, right? So basically they thought, I, this is, I'm reading in the text a little bit. Basically they thought, I can control an eight-year-old. This guy's the worst. They rise up, they kill him. Then the other people come in and kill all the people that killed them, which usually backstabbing never pays off, even beneficial. They kill all of them. A lot of killing in Kings. A lot of killing. But everyone's dead except for Josiah. Okay, Josiah's still alive. And Josiah is eight years old, and Josiah takes the throne. Now, he takes the throne in a nation that has been doing evil for a very long time. A nation where the Lord's judgment has been announced and proclaimed and that it's over for the nation of Israel and this eight-year-old boy steps into this, okay? I want you to see kind of the heaviness of his situation. He steps into a place where all they've done is evil and the Lord's called judgment, but he takes in and the people are hungry for change. The people are hungry for something different. They're hungry maybe to go back to the way things were supposed to be as a God's chosen people. He's in a place that he shouldn't be and he's looking for direction. He's looking to figure out how he's going to lead. Let me, let me say it like this and for the sake of our title. He's looking for the way he is going to walk. The way he's going to lead. The way he's going to do the things he's supposed to do. And, and it doesn't really give us much of his background and sense of all the influence he's had in the Second Chronicles, you kind of see that he starts off pretty quick, pretty young, taking down these high places, but he's looking for a way to walk. He's looking for a way to walk. Um, when I was younger, I worked at Chick-fil-A when I was uh, like from 14 to 20, and I remember when I first got in the back of the kitchen, I liked the back of the house, I liked working in the kitchen because you did not have to see people, and I liked to not iron my clothes. I'm not going to lie. That was mainly the reason. I just hated ironing. So I wanted to be in the back where I could just have a wrinkled shirt, which is sad and whatever. But it's, it's true. So I got in the back. I'm 16 years old, and I was br- learning how to bread chicken. Chick-fil-A, man, they bread their own chicken. Shout out Chick-fil-A. It's great. And uh, I was in there breading chicken. If you know anything about breading chicken, I'm sure many of you know much more than me because uh, you make much better chicken than I do. And I was in there learning how to bread. And the, chi- the process of Chick-fil-A is you get seasoned chicken. You put it in milk wash. Okay, milk wash is kind of like a, exactly what it sounds like, a milky substance that kind of coats the chicken, gets like a binder on the chicken, so that when you move the chicken from the milk wash to the coater or flour, the coater sticks to it. And then you kind of shake it out, and then you put it in the fryer, you cook it, and it's delicious, delicious chicken. Now, I figured out a way to make the process better than (laughs) Chick-fil-A. This way is this. It turns out, and you guys know this, with flour, when flour gets wet, what does it do? It balls up, it thickens, it gets nasty. So at Chick-fil-A, every time you use the flour, every three times you use it, you have to put all the flour in this little sifter, and you have to sift out all the, all the wet flour that's kind of nasty. You don't want that on the chicken because it, it kind of comes out raw, it's gross, so you have to sift it out. Every three times you have to do it. But every three times, man, that's a lot. I'm trying to be fast, I'm trying to be the best. I'm like, I, I, this is kind of a waste of time. So I found out this. If you do not put the chicken in the milk wash, it doesn't stick as much. So guess what? I never put it in the milk wash. I'm talking about for a while. I'm talking about I wouldn't even get the milk wash out of the fridge. I would just leave it in there, and I would just 
put it in the coater, and it would bread nicely. And, man, I'm talking about my, my chicken was beautiful. It was golden. It was clean. No flakes. It was, man, it was the best. I thought it was the best. It was the best chicken. For months I did. I'm not even kidding. For months I did this. No milk wash. I would just put it right in the flour, and there was enough kind of uh, chicken juice, I guess, on the chicken to kind of where it would coat it without needing the flour, without needing the milk wash, and it would come out. I didn't have to sift as much. We didn't have to clean the fryers as much. Everything was easier. It was simpler. It was such a sweet, sweet time in my life until one day. My boss walks in. He says, Colin, why is there no milk wash? I'm talking about I haven't made milk wash in months. I haven't even, like, got it out. Like, we, they probably noticed it in inventory. They're like, why is there so much of that? I don't know. He's like, why is there no milk wash? I was like, well, I know that Chick-fil-A is a multi-billion dollar company and that you guys work really hard to figure out the best ways to do this. But my way is actually, trust me on this, actually the better way. It turns out my way was not the better way. But listen. My way was not the better way because my way was not effective. Because my way got me what I wanted. My way got me speed. My way got me out of cleaning more. My way got me better looking chicken. But my way was the wrong way, listen, because it was not his way. And when your boss has a way, it doesn't matter if your way's better. His way's better. I had to learn that. I had to learn that his way is better. Now, the nation of Judah is about to learn and they've been learning for 57 years of literal child sacrifice that their way was not the best way. And thankfully, for an eight-year-old boy, a young man, who, as we learned, he's probably in his mid-20s when all this kind of starts to go down. Thankfully for him, he introduced them to a new way. And it wasn't a new way at all. In fact, it was the way that they were supposed to be walking the entire time. And that is the way of the Lord. And in the verse, our title comes from this comes from this uh, verse in chapter 1 or, or chapter, chapter 2 and walked in all the way of David his father. I like new years. I like new beginnings. The nation of Judah was in a place where the Lord had announced judgment and they desperately needed a new way to walk. But they didn't just need someone's way. They didn't need Josiah's way. They didn't need just another king's way. They needed the Lord's way. Thankfully for Josiah, thankfully for Judah, and thankfully for us, no matter how far off the path we get, the Lord is faithful to bring us back to his way. Maybe you're not that far off the path. Well, praise the Lord. Let me use this morning to encourage you to walk out of here walking in the way that the Lord has laid out for you. The Lord has a way he wants us to walk. Are you walking in that way? Are you walking in the way of the Lord? We're going to study Judah's turn back to God and see how we can also walk in that way. Now, walking in the way requires things of us. Walking in the way is not easy. Walking in the way is hard. Walking in the way takes trial and error. But walking in the way requires three things I think Josiah gives us. I think the Lord gives us in 2 Kings 22 that we're going to look at. The first is this. Walking in the way requires a tender heart. Walking in the way requires a tender heart. Josiah was tender to the way of the Lord. If you read this same passage, Kings and Chronicles are kind of uh, mirror, path, mirror uh, books of each other. They, one kind of gives a more uh, historical, one kind of gives a more chronological order of things. Uh, those are kind of the same words. I don't really know. You can study that out for yourself. Chronicles is more facts. Kings is more story. In the Chronicles passage of this, you can see that Josiah was already tearing down high places when he came to power. He was already doing these things before he even gets to this place because he had a tender heart. And we're commanded to have a tender heart as well. A tender heart means a heart that is sensitive to the things of God. A heart that is sensitive to the things of God. First Peter 3 says this, Finally be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Let us 
Love as brethren, be pitiful. That word pitiful literally means tender-hearted. Be curious. Be courteous. How do we know that Josiah was tender-hearted? Well, we see in verse number three, he was burdened for the house of the Lord. He was burdened for the house of the Lord. He cared about his church, and that pushed him to action. And we said he was already tender to the heart of the Lord by tearing down these false prophets. He was convicted by the word of God. Verse number 11 shows that when he hears the book, when he hears the law read to him, he rents his clothes, he mourns, he laments, he realizes his sin, he's convicted of his sin, and it burdens him. Why? Because he had a tender heart. And the other reason we know that he has a tender heart, because look at verse number 19 in chapter 22. This, I probably could have started with this one, because thine heart was tender, pretty tender heart. The Lord praises his tenderness and his humility. The tenderness or the sensitivity of Josiah's heart is what led him, listen, to the presence of the Lord. Because his heart was sensitive to the Lord, he was able to experience the presence of the Lord. You do not get to walk to Jesus with your head held high. You can tell the, man, the pride of a man's heart by his posture, and you can tell the humility of Josiah by his tenderness of his heart. Do you know why you do not hear the Lord? Do we know why we don't hear from the Lord? It's not because of a certain preacher. It's not because of a certain singer. It's not because of a service. It's because our hearts are hardened to the things of God. Look at Pharaoh. The plagues. If you guys read the plagues, research the plagues, the, the heavy, I think sometimes when we hear kids' stories, we don't realize the heaviness of the plagues. Go back and read the ten plagues and what those really did and what those really looked like to Israel. And yet Pharaoh's heart was so hard that even through that, the Lord word meant nothing to him and how many of us attend church and we hear the word of God preached by all kinds of people we hear the word of God saying we hear the we hear the things of God around us and it does nothing to us it's not our fault it's not your church's fault it's not anyone's fault but your own heart because your heart has been hardened to the things of God a tender-hearted person repents often a tender-hearted person repents often. I love this passage. One of the reasons this jumped out to me, he hears the word of God preached. He hears the word of God literally read. Imagine if I just got up here and they say that book of the law is probably the book of Deuteronomy. That's kind of what the book, that's the book of the Torah that's referred to. Imagine if I got up here and just read Deuteronomy to you. I promise most of you would leave before I was through. And what was Josiah's response? Conviction, repentance. Not because we have a different book. No, because his heart was so soft to the things of the Lord that when he heard it, it changed his life and it changed the nation of Judah forever. Just the word of the Lord. Just the Bible. Because a tenderhearted person repents often. The daily process of the Christian, repentance, restoration, and worship. Every day, repentance, restoration, and worship. A tenderhearted person leans in to the word of God. When the word of God is preached, when the word of God is opened and read, where is your heart at? Where is your mind at? What are you thinking about right now? Are you leaning in? Are you leaning in to hear from the Lord? Or are you thinking of all the ways that the world is distracting you from allowing the Lord to do something in your life? Where's your head at right now? The word of God is being preached. I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's Coleman. I don't care if it's anybody in the world. The word of God is opened. A tenderhearted person leans into it. Because why? Because it's not my word. It's his word. And his word is what changes lives. His word is what matters. And a tender-hearted person leans into that. Are you hungry for the Word of God? When our hearts are tender, it does not matter who is presenting. It only matters what is being presented. And when the Word of God is being presented, a tender-hearted person hears it and applies it no matter how it is presented. That's what a tender-hearted person does. That's what the Lord sees and values. A tender-hearted person repents often. They lean into the Word and they seek the direction of the Lord. Sensitive hearted people, tender hearted people are smart enough to realize that their way is not the best way. A hardened person will convince themselves 
that their way is better than the Lord's way. That's what a hardened heart does. A tenderhearted person is so smart because they realize they're here and the Lord's there. And they say, wow, they're looking up at God and saying, his way is so far and above my way. If you can sit through preaching, I don't care if it's great preaching. I don't care if it's bad preaching. I don't care if whoever, if you can sit through preaching and feel nothing, I hope that concerns you. I hope that concerns you. I hope it bothers you. If you can sit through preaching, you've either got a hardened heart, which you need to repent and ask the Lord to soften, or you need to be saved. Because preaching has that effect. The Word of God has that effect. Not a preacher, not a person. No, the Word of God has the effect to convict and change lives only when hearts are tender enough to receive it. Are you tenderhearted? Are you, you say, I'm walking in the way. Great. Are you tenderhearted to the Word of God? of God. Walking in the way requires a tender heart. Number two, walking in the way requires a powerful book. Walking in the way requires a powerful book. Josiah's initial sensitivity to the Lord leads him to the house of the Lord. He says, he starts taking down these high places, he starts taking down these altars, and he says, you know what? Remember that temple that we built? Remember that tabernacle we built? Remember that thing that Solomon put all this money and time and effort in? That must have mattered. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to go, we're going to gather the money that we've already given, we're going to go down, you guys are going to go clean it up and get it going again. He's sensitive to the word of God. He's tenderhearted already. So he says, you know what? You're going to go down there and clean it up. So his men, they go down there. They pay the people. They say, let's start cleaning this up. Let's start getting this back to right. Let's start putting the house of God in the way it should be. And they happen to stumble upon the book of the law. That is a crazy coincidence. Plot twist. It's not a coincidence. It's God's sovereign hand. He gives them the book of the law. They find the book of the law. And look, look, look at this in verse number 10. Verse number 10 says this. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Before it was read, it was a book. Verse number 11. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book, of the law, he rent his clothes. Once the book was read, it became more than a book. Why? Because a person walking in the way values the powerful book. There's several verses we're going we're to skip for the sake of time. Matthew 4, 4, Acts 6, 7, Romans 10, 17, 2 Timothy 2, 15. These are all New Testament verses that show us the power of God's word. They show us the value and the purpose of the word of God. The way of the Lord convicts, the way the Lord convicts and corrects his children starts with a heart sensitive to him, but it revolves around the word of God. It revolves around the word of God. Do you walk in the way? If you want to walk in the way of God, the, the Bible better be more than a book to you. This better be more than something that sits in your house. This better be more than an app on your phone. This better be the guide to your life if you say you walk in the way of the Lord. Let me ask you this. If I were to ask, let's, let's do it. I don't care. I'm a youth pastor. If you have a relationship with God, I want you to raise your hand. If you would say, if I would say, hey, do you have a relationship with God? I want you to raise your hand. Do you have a relationship with God? He does have a relationship with God. No, I'm just kidding. He, he does. He's writing. He's writing. Hands down. We all say that, right? Most of us. If we're lost, hey, let's, let's get saved today. We'd all say our relationship with God. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you have a relationship with the Word of God? Because if you do not have a relationship with the Word of God, you have no right to say you have a relationship with God. If your relationship with God is once, I know how God talks to His children. He talks to His children through the Word of God. So if your relationship to Him is just praying and asking Him things and hearing the Word of God preached, you don't have a relationship with God. The way you have a relationship with God, the way you have a relationship with Coleman, if I'm just talking to Coleman and never hearing, letting him speak and never hearing from him, we don't have a relationship. He's just someone I talk to. You don't have a relationship with God. God's just someone you talk to. Why? Because you don't hear from him. Because you don't have a relationship with his word. But we all say we have a relationship with God. We all, the, salvation does not give us relationship with God. You guys realize that, right? Salvation gives us opportunity to have relationship with God. Thank God for that. 
It gives us the chance to know and commune with God. Salvation does not give us relationship. Why? Relationship takes pursuit, and he's pursuing, are you? He's pursuing. He's speaking. He's reaching out. He's convicting. He's correcting. Are you pursuing? Are you reading? Are you seeking to know him? Do you have a relationship with the word of God? Don't say you have a relationship with the word of God. Don't say, don't say you have a relationship with God if you don't have a relationship with the word of God. The word of God was so real and so powerful to Josiah that it radically changed not only the way he lived, but it changed the entire nation of Judah. If you read on, I don't know how far we're going to get because it's the sake of time. If you read on in this passage, the Lord spares Josiah for the rest of his life and brings judgment later on simply because the word of God convicted Josiah and it changed the way he lived. It changed the way he ruled. It changed everything about the nation of Judah because the word of God was that powerful. But the word of God is only that powerful when our hearts are first sensitive and second, when we read it. If the relationship with the word of God comes from up here when you're preaching, I am so sorry. I'm sorry if that's how you hear from God is Sunday mornings from a pulpit. Now that's the way, it sh- now th- th- there's a part of it. Preaching is to persuade, to action. That's great. That's beautiful. I love preaching. I listen to preaching every single day of the week. I love it. I love it. I love it. My re- but my relationship with God is not based on someone opening up and reading it. My relationship with God is based on me opening up and reading it. So here's the question. It's, what is the day? January 14th. We're 14 days in. Happy New Year. Last time I'll say it. How many years are you going to start saying you're going to read your Bible before you actually do it? How many years are you going to go to church and hear a message on, hey, you should read your Bible and be like, I should read my Bible, and then a year later have the same thing? How many years, some Christians are sitting in here 50, 60, 70 years old being like, man, I should read my Bible. When are you going to start? Are you going to start in heaven? Is that what it's going to take? Is it going to take death? Is it going to take Jesus coming for you to read your Bible? For you to have a relationship with God? Why are you here? What are we doing? Is this just something to make you feel good for the week? Or is this something to persuade you to know Jesus and love him more deeply? Do you want to walk in the way of Jesus? Walking in the way of Jesus takes talking to Jesus and hearing from him and sacrificing what you want to hear from him because hearing from him is so much better than what you want. So much better than what you want. But you got to step out and do that. Walking in the way requires tender heart, yes, but it requires a powerful book. So why isn't the Word of God? Why aren't we in the Word of God? Three reasons, and we're moving. It's 954. We got a whole more, lot more to go. We will see. Why aren't we in the Word of God? Well, number one, we're not in the Word of God because it isn't personal to us. When something is personal, it gets done. I've seen you take something personal. I've seen something that matters to you, and guess what? When something matters to you, it's priority. You know why you're not in the Word of God? Because it doesn't matter to you. First, it isn't personal. Second, it isn't planned. When something isn't planned, it doesn't get done. You plan things that matter to you. You got a big birthday party coming up. You got a big event at work coming up. Guess what? You're going to put thought. You're going to put effort. You're going to think ahead. You're going to make it happen. And then guess what? It's going to happen. You know why you're not in the Word of God? Because you don't plan to be in the Word of God. You know why you don't plan to be in the Word of God? Because it doesn't matter if you are in the Word of God to you. It isn't personal. It isn't planned. It isn't protected. When something is protected, it gets done. We guard what we care about. We take care of, no matter what, we're going to get something done. Hunting season comes around, we're going to be in the deer stand. Why? Because it it matters to us. It's personal, so we plan it out, and guess what? We find ourselves in the deer stand. Why? Because we're protective of that. And when something comes up and wife says, hey, we got to do this, no, no, no. We're going to the deer stand. Why? Because it's, we're protect, we guard what we value. You know why you're one of the God? It doesn't matter to you. It's not personal. It's not planned, and you don't protect it. It's the first thing you're willing to sacrifice. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, church, Relationship with church, relationship with God, it's the first thing you're willing to sacrifice when something comes up. 
I'm not being mad at you. I love you. I'm trying to spurn you to something more. I'm trying to spurn you to the love of Jesus in a real way, not a Sunday morning folk Christianity. I'm trying to push you to know Jesus deeply. Why? Because that's the only way to know Jesus. It's the only way to know Jesus. And it starts by walking in the way. It starts with a tender heart. And it starts when once you have a tender heart, the word of God will make changes to you that you can never make to yourself. How many years are we going to struggle? Growth means new decisions, not struggling with the same ones forever. Walking the way requires tender heart. Walking in the way requires the powerful book. Number three, and we're, we're almost done. Walking in the way requires an inquiry of the Lord. I love it. We're not even going to have time to do it. Verse number 13 through 20, Josiah says, uh, he's so convicted, he's so concerned. He says, we got to do something. we got to figure this out. He says, I want my priest. He gets his priest. He gets his scribes. He says, you guys need to go find a prophet and ask the Lord what is going on. Because he reads the book of the law and he looks at his life and he says, these two aren't matching up. He says, this is what the Lord's commanded us to live. And I've looked back. I've heard of what my grandpa did. I heard of what my dad did. And we have not been doing that. So he says, we've got to figure it out. So he sends to the prophetess. The prophetess says, look, this is the word of the Lord. She gives him the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is it's powerful. It's judgment, but it's so full of grace. He says this, your father and your grandfathers have messed up so much that judgment's still going to come, but I'm going to spare you. And because of your repentance, because of your sensitivity to the word of the Lord, I'm going to spare you, I'm going to spare your house, and we're going to push judgment off. So Josiah gets to live the rest of his life, and chapter 23 is awesome. He goes and does all the things he says he's going to do, and he ends up dying. He doesn't live a super long life. He only lives for 31, he only lives for 39 years. He dies. The next king comes in. God's judgment comes. The nation of, <laughs> nation of Judah is carried out. God's judgment comes. But listen. It started with a tender heart, which led to the Word of God being a convicting, powerful book. And once we're convicted, once our hearts are soft, once the Word of God has convicted us, we find ourselves asking the Lord, what can we do? What's next? I've been convicted. The Word of God has cut. What's next? When's the last time you found yourself asking God, what's next? When's the last time you've come to a place of surrender? Surrender to God of anything I'm willing. Anything I'm willing. Whatever that looks like, your word is so powerful, my heart is so soft that no matter what you say, I'm willing to do. For some of you, you need to just commit to coming to church. Some of us need to commit to reading our Bible more than on Sunday mornings, more than a verse a day. I love that. I love the Bible up. I love the verse a day. I love when we post it. I love it. I love it. I love it. The Bible is a lot more than a verse a day. That's what, we're, that's what we need to come to a place of. I don't know if you're there yet. I hope some of you are. I hope some of you are, have, have, your heart has been softened. The word of God has convicted you. And now you're at a place of God. Whatever you say, I will do. Just have mercy and grace upon me. And this is not a point of salvation. This is a point of repentance that all of us should be at often. Often. That is not a once in a while. That is an everyday repentance. This is the way. This is the way. But unfortunately, many Christians will walk out of here unaffected by the word of God. You walk in, you walk out unaffected. Honestly, the way, that, the way that God lays out Josiah's life is not super attractive. He's like, yeah, I'll give you 31 years of life. And then you're going to die. He dies in battle. And then guess what? His sons get carried off. And the nation, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah are enslaved for years, hundreds of years, hundreds of years. And then eventually, Persia comes in. We know the story of Daniel. Persia comes in kind of frees them. Not really. And then they kind of slide under Roman control. And then once they're in Roman control, 
that kind of sit around for a few hundred years. And then another king comes. And when I studied this, I was looking at a chart of all the kings of Judah, and it said uh, Hezekiah, Manasseh, uh, Ammon, Josiah, next one, next one. And then the last one, it was a king by the name of Jesus. And it said his reign was for all eternity. And his reign is just getting started. And I'm not challenging you to walk in the way of Josiah. I'm not challenging you to walk in the way of David, like Josiah says here. I don't care about their way. I care only about Jesus' way, and his way is the best way. And if you're not walking in that way, you are wasting the entire walk of your life. His way is better than your way. And don't allow his judgment to be the one to show you that. For, for the nation of Judah, it took... It literally took, for them to rise up and kill Manasseh, it literally took God coming down and saying, I'm going to wipe everybody out. And they said, you know what, enough's enough, we're going to do something. Don't allow God's judgment to be the thing that pushes you to Him. Allow the Word of God to convict a soft heart that you come to a place of surrender. Why? Because His way is better than your way. So walk in His way. Whatever that looks like. It looks like for all of it. We've got different paths, but it's all the Lord's way. So walk in that way. I want you guys to stand and bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not going to lie. I'm bad at invitations. I'm just bad at them. I'm still working on it. I'm practicing. But some of us need to come to an altar and commit to walk in the way of Jesus. Your way is not good enough, friend. I love you. I hope you know that I love you. I care about you. But your way is not good enough. It doesn't get the job done. Your way leads to hell. The Bible says that Narrow is the way. Few go. I think there's something about few that makes it valuable. Something about not everyone that makes it worth going. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if, this, if you, 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 you're not even near walking in the way because you've never met Jesus, say yes to Jesus today. Why don't you come, come up to this altar and let, let one of our men show you from the Word of God, one of our ladies show you from the Word of God what it means to know Jesus. So you can start walking in the way today. There's no better decision you'd ever make. No better decision you ever make. Matt, you stand.